Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10:30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. Well, it's my pleasure to to uh, share the word with you today. Um, this is kind of the the caboose of the Easter season. We've been in the Easter season for a good five weeks now. And uh, I ask that we could leave the cross up until after today, because today we remember what Christ did for us. We're going to talk about seven fountains of the blood of Jesus. And uh, I want you to take notes. If you're, a, if you're not a note taker, well, Lord help you. That's, that's my situation growing up all my life. But, I, you know, my older years, I've, I've learned to take notes. But there's a lot of material that's going to come through this, the course of this message today. And I really want you to have it written down somewhere so you can look back at it and say, oh, that's what Mike mentioned. And, 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 and yeah, and I want to know that information. So our text today comes out of a very familiar chapter, Isaiah 53. And I'm sure Michael will have... The, uh, the passage, we're going to read from verse 3 down through the end of it at verse 12. One thing you have to understand about the book of Isaiah is this prophecy that he wrote about the coming of Christ and the Messiah, this happened 700 years or so before Jesus was born. And yet, when you read through this passage, man, he nailed it. I mean, he hit it 100% on the bullseye. And it makes me think that Isaiah knew what he was talking about. Amen? Uh, Beginning in verse 3, let's look at this together. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I never understood that line right there. That's how much God loves you and I that the Lord would allow this to happen. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, 
he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Guess who the transgressors were? You and me. We're, we're the bad guys in this scenario. And yet God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son. Wow. So the sufferings that Jesus went through in the beatings, the scourging, the crucifixion, all of it, these were not some kind of stopgap measure, last minute kind of thought and afterthought in the plan of God to save mankind. Revelation 13.8 says it this way, that Christ's sufferings and death were planned from the very foundation of the world. See, Father God, he already knew what it was going to take to get men saved, get women saved, to get redeem them back from sin and death. And so he laid out this plan before the earth was even really thought of, before the planets were aligned and the stars were aligned and all of that stuff, from the very foundation of the world. And the ways and the many ways and the various ways that Jesus suffered. Um, how many of you have ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? Everybody have a pretty good... That's as realistic as it gets for me. Uh, I cried like a baby, and I've cried every time I've ever seen it since that time. But the many ways that Jesus suffered, and we'll look at some of those today, each had a purpose and provided for some aspect of our healing. I want you to understand that today. So as I said, we're going to look at seven fountains of the blood of Jesus and how each fountain brings a different type of healing to our lives. Number one, taking notes today, first fountain was in the Garden of Gethsemane. This fountain represents the fountain of our will. This is where Jesus prayed these words, not my will, but yours be done. And he was talking to his heavenly father. See, he was a, a mere mortal of a man, and yet he was God. And he was definitely struggling with this idea. And I've, I've read a little bit into the background of this. And Jesus experienced such intense pressure on his physical body when he was in the garden. That blood passed through his skin in the form of perspiration. Dr. Luke in chapter 22, he says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then he, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't think he was just breaking out in a sweat, folks. The word agony is used in the New King James. And I got to thinking about what was causing the agony that Jesus was wrestling with physically and spiritually and mentally what was causing such intense pressure on his physical body that he would kneel there and blood would pour from his, his, his skin? Here's a thought. And by the way, we're not creating a new doctrine today. This is not any kind of dogma. We're not going to start a new denomination based on what I'm teaching today. This is just 
a thought, okay? So take what you, here's, here's the thought. Eat the meat, spit out the bones, okay? It's always a good thought. But possibly, why was Jesus under such intense pressure? The one thought that came to mind as I read this story again. He did not want to become the embodiment of sin. Think about that for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, talking about God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So imagine, if you will, Jesus is the only man that's ever put his foot on the planet who's never experienced sin. He's never committed a sin. And yet the plan of the Father from the foundation of the world is that he has to be immersed in sin for this whole plan to take place. Now, I've been working on these notes for two weeks, and I'll get in the middle of them and I'll just start crying. Sitting at my desk at home, I'll be looking at the computer, or I might be listening to a song that goes along with the theme, and I just start bawling because I think about what Jesus did for me, what we're going to partake of this body and and blood in just a little bit. I, I would begin to reflect on what Jesus went through and what he's done for me, and it's imagined, but I mean, it's just unimaginable. I, my, I can't wrap my head around it all the time. But imagine, if you will, this holy being. He's never sinned. He's never known sin. But all of a sudden, through this process, he's going to be immersed in sin. And I mean like a guy being baptized in the tank back here. There's not going to be a dry part left anywhere. 100% he had to submit. He couldn't submit part way to the Father's will. He couldn't give a little bit. He had to give it all. Amen? We also have to be willing to die to our own will. That's what he had to do in the garden. He had to say, you know what? What I want really doesn't matter. What you want, Father God, is what matters. That's why the first prerequisite to salvation is found in Matthew 16 and 24. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now I remember the pictures of Jesus carrying that cross through the streets after he had taken such a beating. And it came to the point where he could no longer carry the cross. So they grabbed a guy out of the crowd and said, no, you carry his cross. And Jesus is telling us in Matthew, time for you to pick up your cross. Put it over your shoulder. Follow me, amen? What, a, what a, a reality check in our lives. So if you think about that, we can't even be saved unless first we're willing to pick up our cross and follow him. And secondly, if we won't surrender 100% of our lives to him. You can't keep something stored in the closet of your life and expect God to bless your life and to move on your behalf and do things for you, it has to be all. We have to surrender. As the old song says, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Number two today, the second fountain came from the crown of thorns. The second fountain came from the crown of thorns. Matthew chapter 27 tells the story. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium. 
and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. These guys were having a real fun time, weren't they? I don't think I'd want to be in their shoes. The Bible really doesn't go on to say what happened to these guys, but it couldn't have been good. Couldn't have been good. I'm, I'm sure some of them died of some horrendous circumstances, horrendous diseases. But they were having a, a real good time messing with Jesus on that day. Now this crown of thorns that we're focused on, there's a plant over in the, in the Far East and the Middle East. It's called Euphorbia milli. I don't know what that is, but it has one-inch thorns that grow along all of the stems. And it's scholar, Bible scholars feel like this is what they, ra- they made the crown of thorns out of. And intentionally, those, cra- those thorns were poked into. They, they weren't sticking out. They were sticking in all the way around on this thing that they, that they crafted out of this plant. One-inch long, sharp spines. And when the crown of thorns was thrust down on Jesus' head piercing the skin of his head all the way around, but especially in his forehead. So this fountain of blood impacts the human mind. This fountain of blood that poured out of Jesus' head impacts the human mind. The thorns encircling his brain signify the terrible thoughts that our minds experience. Jesus bore what I would call mental anguish. That's what he did for us. You ever have one of those days where you get up and you, your thought process is just butterflies and rainbows and everything is wonderful? You get up another day and all hell breaks loose in your mind and you have to fight it tooth and nail just to keep your thought life on track? A lot of that has to do with how much of the word we've got in us and how much time we've spent in God's presence in prayer. But some days are better than others. But Jesus, in his suffering, huh? he basically stood in the gap for those nasty thoughts that would plague our mind and our mental anguish. I, I hear the stories of those that are out on the street dealing with living homeless and dealing with mental illness. And I want to believe in my heart that Jesus is no respecter of persons. And when he died and when he was tortured... He did it for them too. There is a way through the cross to receive complete and total healing in our minds. So that blood ran down his forehead and into his eyes, atoning for the thoughts and sins that our imaginations have entertained. We need our minds purified by the blood of Jesus, and I believe that's every day. I really believe that's every day. Somewhere in the scripture it talks about renewing our mind daily. And I believe that the blood of Jesus was shed just for that purpose. The third fountain of blood that flowed, flowed from the hands of Jesus. The third fountain flowed from the hands of Jesus. Both of his hands were pierced and blood poured out of them profusely. Our hands represent, get this now, our activities, our abilities, what we do, how we work. What our efforts are, even sometimes our efforts that we put forth and try to save ourselves. Wow. 
Once Christ's hands were nailed to the cross, he was pretty much helpless to defend himself, wasn't he? He wasn't going anywhere. I remember that song that we used to sing in church when I was a kid. The choir sang it when I was a kid. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and for me. Boy, oh boy. So his hands were nailed to the cross. His feet were nailed to the cross. And as I said, we try various ways sometimes to save ourselves. Maybe through doing good works. Maybe through a medical intervention. We think, well, if I have this operation, I'll be perfect. I'll just be, I'll just, be just right, you know. Or we think about the legacy that we're going to leave behind. And there's nothing wrong with that. Better to be le- left behind with a good reputation and, a, and good character thoughts of you uh, than something poor. Amen? But we try to, we kind of try to fix ourselves sometimes without God involved. That's what, never what God intended. Hosea chapter 14 and 3 says, this is the work of our hands. That's what it's called. It is the work of our hands when we're trying to do it ourselves. And the blood that flowed out of the hands of Jesus did everything necessary to atone for all of the wrongs that our hands have done. Amen? The Bible says that we are saved by grace, not by the works of our hands, lest anyone should boast. We don't get the credit for that, folks. It's not on us. It's on, it's on the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets the credit. If we are saved and we are walking in his love and in his light, he gets the credit. Amen? Number four today, the fourth fountain that flowed, flowed from the feet of Jesus. So Jesus' feet also had to make atonement for us. Why? Because Proverbs 1.16 says this, For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. That's just human nature. That's who we are. Some of us are, we can't hardly drive by a wreck on the highway without slowing down and taking a look. We make haste to see the bad stuff going on. We run to evil. So our feet had to be atoned for. Jesus atoned with his blood pouring from his feet because of all of the evil places that our feet have taken us. And if you stop and think about the life you've lived, sometimes we just don't make good decisions. We've, we've, we've run into a situation, haven't given it much thought, and chalked that one up as a mistake in our life, and we have to pray for forgiveness. The feet represent, write this down, the fountain of our mission. The feet represent the fountain of our mission. You see, our feet can take us to all the places where we can either do good or we can do evil. It's a matter of personal choice, amen? Matter of personal choice. So Jesus' feet bled so that our mission could be sanctified and made holy. Isn't that beautiful? And then on the other hand, Isaiah 52 and 7 says this, just a chapter before our text. How beautiful upon the the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. Talking about the feet again. We can do good, amen? We can go to places where we can accomplish great things 
on behalf of the kingdom of God. Amen. It's also with our feet, if you read the word at all, that we trample down the enemy. He's under our feet. Amen? Amen. Just like the serpent in the garden, they, the Bible says they, they crushed his head. Our feet trample over the top of the our enemy of our soul. So that's another reason that our feet must be sanctified. Number five today. The fifth fountain came from the face of Jesus. The fifth fountain came from the face of Jesus. His face was battered and bruised by the scepter that the Roman soldiers hit him with. They did a little batting practice with the face and head of Jesus Christ. Just unbelievable. And then his hair and his beard were literally torn out by the handful for our vanity and our pride. Wow. Isaiah 50 and 6 says, He hid not his face from shame and spitting. He, he, he stood up and took it like a man, did he not? Matthew 26 says, Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? They were really putting his feet to the fire, so to speak, weren't they? But they abused his face. So why did our faces have to be atoned for? That's the question I ask myself in this process. Let me give you a few. I'll just give you the addresses and I'll read the, read the rest. Because the Bible says it this way. Jeremiah 5 and 3 says, We made our faces harder than stone and refused to repent. Ezekiel 7.18 says, We bore the shame on our faces. Matthew 6.16, We disfigured our faces with hypocrisy. This is why our faces had to be atoned for. Proverbs 7 and 13 says, And we wear a brazen face of sin. So our face tells a lot. You ever been in a group of people and you're talking and somebody makes a, just a complete off-the-wall statement? Where does it show up first? In your face, doesn't it? You might have a hard time hiding it. You might give one of those out loud, what I call an out loud eye roll. Yeah. Because our faces speak volumes, amen? We've been married almost 45 years. My wife says that if I'm lying to her, she can tell right in my face. She can look me in the face and know whether or not I'm telling the truth or I'm telling a lie. Oh my goodness. Nothing like living with your conscience, amen? Another for reason for the assault on Jesus' face was that Satan can't stand to look in the face of Christ. Okay? Yeah. Because that's the face of his master when he was in heaven. Remember, Godhead, three in one. Okay? And the face of Jesus just irks him, makes him, makes him angry, makes him mad. Wow. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 says, Because in it, talking about the face of, of Christ, in it is seen the glory of God. In the face of Jesus, it is the seat of identity for you and I, okay? And it is the focal point of beauty, the face of Jesus Christ. And that's why they abused, and that's why the blood poured out of his face. So this fountain 
Talking about the face of Jesus, this is the fountain of his glory. Number six. The sixth fountain that flowed came from Jesus' back. You all remember back in school and they told the story of Atlas the Titan, how he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders? Well, when Jesus went to the cross, he did the very same thing. He bore the sins and the weight of the whole world. Everyone that had been born, everyone that's going to be born to the end of time, he bore and carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. Matthew 8 and 17 says, He bore our sicknesses and he carried our diseases. And the stripes that were laid on his back were clearly put there for our healing. And if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, the beating that Jesus took is beyond human consumption. I mean, it's just, your imagination can't even, they say, Bible scholars say that he had very little flesh. The cat of nine tails literally reached in and tore flesh from his back every time they hit him. And he took 39 stripes. Wow. There wasn't much left of him, but the blood that flowed out of the back of Jesus is a fountain of healing for you and for I. Amen? Isaiah 53 and 5 says, And with his stripes we are healed. Are healed. You see what that means? I put the word are in big bold letters in my notes. Because why? It's a done deal. It's not up for debate. It's not anything that we have to worry about or doubt or whatever. It's a completed work that was done on the cross of Christ. All we have to do is accept it and believe in faith that the healing is done. Say, well, Mike, how come... You're not healed of this, or I'm not healed of that. Well, sometimes our faith doesn't exercise like it should. Our faith gets weak, it gets flabby. I was thinking about this in my own life. I've prayed over things in my own life and in my own body, and I've seen healing come. And yet, for the last 16 years, I've walked around with type 2 diabetes, and I've just kind of accepted it and said, well, you know... I overdid my weight when, as a younger man. I didn't manage my weight very well. I was 50 pounds heavier back in those days. And this is what I got. This was my reaping season because I get to walk around with type 2 diabetes. I get to eat all those crummy pills I get to take every day. I get to stick my belly with a, a needle at night and put insulin on my body because, you know, do I have faith to be healed from that? I don't know, to be very honest with you. I've kind of become a doormat unto myself. I've kind of laid down and said, well, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And, it, and that's, it's, it's ridiculous that we do that because Jesus was beaten and bruised and bled for every disease known to mankind. He didn't pick and choose what we could be healed from. You know, I know that if, if the doctor tells you you've got some kind of cancer, we come unraveled because... That's a, that's a scary word. There's no doubt about that. That is a scary word. But some of, you have, some of you have had cancer. You beat cancer. And you're on the downhill side of life with that because you don't have to worry about that anymore. You have done an awesome job and you had faith for God to heal you in that. 
So I've got to exercise my faith a little bit better when it comes to that because the fountain of healing poured from his back. Amen? Amen. Number seven, our last point in all of this, the last fountain came from the side of Jesus. John 19 and 34 records, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Now, blood had already poured from every other spot on his body. I don't know how much blood was left. But whatever was left, the blood and water poured out of his side. As you look that up and study it in Scripture, many biblical scholars feel like that indicated a broken heart. Jesus had a broken heart. He had cried over Jerusalem. He had prayed over, he'd gone up high in the mountains and he'd prayed over the city and he'd prayed over the people. And he knew the weight of what he was doing. He knew the weight of what he was facing. So when that blood and water poured out, that indicated a broken heart in our Lord. This is the fountain of forgiveness. This is the fountain of forgiveness of sin. It represents what I call a double cleansing. Okay? And I'll explain that. We are cleansed, first of all, by the blood of Jesus. And then we are cleansed by the word of God. Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of the water by the word. I never thought of it that way until putting this series of, of thoughts together on paper. It represents a double cleansing. The blood and the water both poured out of the side of our Savior. The old song, Rock of Ages, says it this way. Let the water and the blood from his wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Wow. You know, that's a great old song, a great hymn of the church. And until I put those, those words on paper, I didn't really think about that too much. I, 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 you know, sometimes things go right by you. They go right over your head. But let the water and the blood from his wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, safe from wrath, and make me pure. Wow. So this is not only a fountain of forgiveness that poured out of his side, it is a fountain of double cleansing. Of double cleansing. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus and cleansed by the word of God. Um, and I read this story. I, found, I didn't think it up myself. I found it online and thought it was so appropriate for this occasion. Um, so if I tear up during this story, just, you know, chalk it up to middle age. Okay? How's that? <laughs> Sometimes I'm a middle-aged sissy and things like this move me and it grips my heart and it squeezes on my heart a little bit and milks out a tear or two. So I'll do my best to keep it together. But here's how it goes. A young woman was married and had two beautiful children. But one day she was standing over the sink washing the dishes and she thought to herself, there must be more to life than this. When her husband came home from work, he found a note she had written and began to weep. You see, she had left the family to go find herself and all that life could offer. She would call him about once a week to check on the children, and he would always tell her of his great love for her 
and beg her to come home. She would always say no and just hang up the phone. Finally, he hired a private investigator to find her. He went to the apartment where she was staying, nervously holding a bouquet of roses in his hand as he stood at the door. He had rehearsed over and over in his mind what he would say, and he finally got up the nerve to knock on the door. And she opened the door and began to speak. And then all of a sudden, she began to weep, and she fell into his arms. And she managed to say through her sobs and tears, Let's go home. Let's go home. Months after this, when things were starting to heal, he finally asked her something that had been bothering him. He said, all those times I talked to you on the phone, and I asked you to come back, and you refused me, flat out refused me. Why did you come back now? She softly replied, well, with tears in her eyes, you were just telling me that you loved me. But when you came for me, you showed me how much you love me. Amen? The Bible tells us over and over how much God loves us. Amen? But Jesus came and showed us how much God loves us. Jesus proved God's love to you and to me by dying on that cross. Wow. One more scripture passage to share with you. Kind of sums it all up. 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sin. Wow. Just wow. Father God, I am so thankful. Thank you for this word today, Lord. Thank, thank you for helping me find my way into it and find my way through it. That you could once again reveal unto us something new and something fresh. About a tr church tradition that we've been doing for thousands of years. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Let it... Let it settle deep in our spirits. May it plant seeds of good thought and good actions in all of our lives. May we never take for granted the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your gift of salvation to each and one of us. To each and every one of us, it means something different. Just a little bit different here, a little bit different there. But nonetheless, Lord... We are saved by your grace, not by the works of our hands. We know we cannot do it ourselves. So we are thankful and we are grateful for that today. Bless these that are under the sound of my voice, Lord Jesus. Be with them this week as they go about their business. Keep them wrapped in a hedge of protection and guardian angels riding shotgun in the car with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Lord bless you guys today. Thank you.